Hi, this is Tony Silva. And Charles Wiz. And this is episode 68, Two Teachers Talking. Charles and I get together to talk about teaching, teaching English, teaching English in Japan, and um, all the fun that that can be. And today, uh, again, something a little bit different. We've got an interview with uh, Professor Kim Cannell of um, Kinky University, Kindai University. They're in the process of chasing, changing their name. Thank God that they're changing that name, yes. That's <laughs> <laughs> ah, kind of a tradition. I don't know. I'm kind of sorry to see it go. I mean, it's... it's Cheap, a good source for a cheap joke, right? That's exactly it, right? <laughs> and uh, it has served if, that it, purpose well. <laughs> and I guess it, I guess it's getting a little old. Maybe um, that's why they're changing it. Of course. Okay. Yeah. And uh, yeah, if um, if you're in the Kansai region, you probably know the name um, Kim, one of the elders uh, uh, of teaching. He's been here forever, uh, which here translates to over thirty-five years. Uh, teaching in the Osaka area the whole time, and um, now I can, you know, a little bit down the road looking for re at retirement, and uh, we thought it'd be a good idea to sit down, talk with them, and about how things have changed <laughs> over the decades and um, since he's been here. In well, I think it was 1979, so some major changes. Yeah. We've been here far, well, a little bit less, far less. Yeah, 10 years, maybe 10 years difference, right? Right. So he's, We've been here 25, 26 years, so right. he's got 10 years on us. So that's that generation right before us that came over. In a really, you really have to think of it that way. The age differences might not be that great, but um, in terms of experience in Japan, it is a different generation. And a lot of that will come up in the interview. Right, right. And that's what's interesting about it. So, but I was, when I was just listening real quickly, just for the listeners is to hear some of the people who were really part of this first wave of English teaching that was coming to Japan. Um, we should actually do an interview. I have a friend who's been in Japan since 1949. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So he's really, really an old timer in that sense. Um, in, in a couple of senses. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I'm tipping my hat to you, Arthur. Don't, don't get too upset. <laughs> Sorry, Arthur. Sorry, Sorry, Arthur. Arthur. <laughs> but it's really an interesting uh, take on Japan and education. So I think it's really going to be nice for our listeners. Yeah, I enjoyed interesting. it. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. It's a, it's a different thing. So let's, let's hit it. Okay. So today we've got um, with us one of the elders one of the gray beards of the kansai area one of the, and uh, if you're teaching in anywhere in, o in the osaka area you know the name uh kim cannell at, uh, from um what's it called ginky university kindai university yeah berlitz uh, university what's the name of that place <laughs> <laughs> they're calling it kindai university kindai university but yes, and indeed and indeed i am even older than you uh, indeed you are <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah so some well a lot of changes right now and, and over the years and things too but uh yeah you've been in japan how long since 1978 yow do the math and there's uh, very few people that, that can rack up those kinds of numbers yeah you make me seem like a short timer what 20 years for you uh it's going on 25 26 25 yeah so you like I, a uh, fellow American. Oh, yeah. How'd you get here? <laughs> what happened? <laughs> uh, the uh, <clears throat> How'd you end I, up here? All right. Okay. BA in literature, hmm. Cal State Fullerton, education program. 
got the got the teaching high school and junior high school teacher credential. Decided I wanted to go into the Peace Corps. Ended up in Columbia in 1973. Peace Corps training tightened up my Spanish. Spanish was a minor in college, and along with art. And I went to the Peace Corps training, and I decided, no, this is not for me. Not not the Peace Corps itself, but Columbia in 1973 was run by dictator, and uh, the Peace Corps was all messed up. And so I, I said goodbye. They strip searched me at the in Florida on my way out. Didn't find anything. Find your and way then, out. <laughs> and then uh, ended up back at Cal State Fullerton and uh, finished off uh, some work there. Started teaching night school uh, to uh, immigrants. There were a lot of Vietnamese and Cambodian, Laotian uh, immigrants at that point because it was uh, the war was still going. And uh, so I taught night school. And the principal there recommended I apply for a teaching assistantship at Cal State Long Beach. So I applied and got an assistant uh, teaching assistantship in uh, at Cal State Long Beach, again, teaching the foreign students. For, and I was in the uh, applied linguistics program with the TESOL uh, certificate at the end. And then uh, about two, two years into that program, I was teaching a lot of Japanese students and a lot of Thai students. I kind of decided that uh, I'd like to go learn another language besides, besides Spanish. And at the end of the program, I worked a year, saved up my money, bought a ticket from Los Angeles to Hawaii, to Tokyo, to Bangkok. And with stops along the way, uh, I got a tentative job in Osaka, but I wanted to see what it was like in Thailand. Got to Thailand, checked things out there. said, this is not for me. Not that I didn't like Thailand, but it just wasn't for me. And those were days that, that you were still, oh, by, that, by the way, that was 78, by that time, 78. And uh, it, there was just social difficulties there. I mean, the girls would not talk to you on the street, the, the legitimate girls. And so I came, came back to Japan and ended up working uh, at a language school called, uh, it was Time Life Educational Systems. And they, because this was in June, so it was too late to get any kind of uni job. And I worked there for a year. Uh, went and went back to the states. Decided to go back, come back to Japan, and then I started working for a school that you might be familiar with, Tennoji English Academy, and I loved it there. It was a semongako, and uh, I worked there for ten years. And about three or four years into it, I started working at uh, junior colleges. That's the basis. Hope that answers the question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, it's a well. Yeah, and very interesting because it's such a different world in in so many ways, right? Not only um, professionally, uh, uh, but also socially, right? I mean, yeah, every and almost every aspect. I mean, international relations, the society here in Japan, um, for us, the the field of edu the field of education, as well as the employment situation here in Japan. So many changes and, and such big changes, right? Very different world. You talked when you were um, talking about the girls in Thailand. I was kind of snickering uh, myself because you got here just kind of at the tail end of like what I guess is the was the golden era for all those things. Mm. Um, but uh, did get to taste the tail end of it. Uh, but um, <laughs> um, but so looking you know, back, I mean, it's seventy eight. 2015 um you look back at all that time what what do you see uh, you think are the most significant changes 
okay, in, in I, any of that. I mean, you, you know, you take it. I mean, whatever you think. Well, socially, first of all. Okay. Uh, in 1978, a white person could walk into any disco in Japan for free. They wanted you there because they didn't have them. You, you could walk all day and never, never see a, a, a white person. It was, it was really kind of a, and again, I, I was only for the, for the end of it, but it was like instant rock star. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you were blessed in a lot of ways that you didn't even know it. And of course, you know that, uh, what was, what's that that was in the comic book? Uh, Charisma, Charisma Man. Man. Charisma Man, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and that, I don't think they do that anymore because it wouldn't be, people couldn't relate to it. But yeah, there no, was no, no one would know what they're talking about. You'd right? have a dweeb and he'd be walking down the street and then some girls would come up to him and go, oh, you're a foreigner. Let's speak English. And then all of a sudden he turned into Charisma Man. So that was still, that was, that was actually going on. And some of the dweebiest guys got some very, very hot women. And uh, of course, these guys have to speak Japanese. And I, might, I might take offense at that. <laughs> you're no dweeb, Tony. I'm not saying you're hot either. <laughs> but anyway, the, um, the thing was that, you know, they didn't want you to speak Japanese. But I made a very, uh, one of my main points for coming here was to learn the language. And I was very lucky that I had, lucky I worked for it, but that I had a, a degree in linguistics too, which helped. But I did want to learn the language. It was my main. I didn't come here to do karate. And, and I was just teaching to make money so that I could you know, study at the same time. But yeah, in those days, you, there weren't a lot of foreigners here and you were not expected to speak Japanese. You, in some places, they didn't want you to speak Japanese at all. I remember at Time Life, they didn't like it when I used Japanese and they told me so. I didn't use it. I don't think I used it too much, but they didn't want any of it. And uh, we weren't supposed to know about culture. I think that's the biggest difference. Now, Japanese expect us to know more about culture, and they're not surprised that we speak Japanese, even though we get that, oh, Nihongo Jozu Desune, every now and then. You, you know, most of the time, they don't. So that's the biggest difference. There are probably percentage-wise, like three, four times as many, it's not a percent, is it, as there were then. Yeah, a lot of things have changed. And the interesting thing that you, you you talked about there is like you um experienced like, well, they didn't want you to learn the culture. And again, for me, the time shifted a little bit. And one of the interesting things that I've noticed and, and I've talked about a little bit on, on, on the show is that uh, there's a, a, a strong undercurrent. Uh, can't, again, like everything else, it's hard to put your finger on exactly where it is or what it is. But... Um, kind of a, a barrier against teaching the foreign culture. Now, teach us the language. Teach, well, not teach us. Teach our students the language. But leave your culture back at your place. Don't, don't, don't pollute our students with your culture. Just teach them the language so that they can excel in business. At, but we don't want them to become... They don't want in any way to make them any less Japanese. That doesn't seem to have changed much, I think. I don't know. What do you think? I don't in in your average university, we're talking university teaching yeah. now, okay? In your average university class, your oral English, first year communicative English class, uh, I, I don't see any strictures against that at this university. Um, they're, they're, not, they're not telling us not to teach culture. But I do tell the teachers that they can talk about culture as the as the coordinator, talk about culture all you want, but don't push your culture 
on the students and don't expect them to embrace your culture. Just because they're speaking your language doesn't mean they have to embrace your culture and vice versa. Just because we speak Japanese doesn't mean we have to embrace every part of Japanese culture. But I think if you're going to do explicit cultural lessons, which are going to deal with values, uh, that's and I do teach. I do teach what's called a global issues class. I've taught uh, cultural, um, cross-cultural discourse and things like that. Then explicitly, if you could present the whatever you want to call them dichotomies, like for example, Japanese is more group-oriented, uh, Western culture is more individualistic. Japanese are more might might be a little bit more subjective. Uh, Western culture is more objective. If you do that as dichotomies and then talk to the students about that without placing your own value judgment on it, then I think nobody's going to complain. I think the problem is you try to say you're in, you're speaking English now, so you have to act this way. I don't buy that. Because I don't buy it that we that that foreigners who speak Japanese have to have to be Jap Japanese culture culturally. Mm, I don't it's, know, man. How, how do you speak Japanese without being culturally aware? I mean, you that whole idea of like you know, senpai kohai is not part of our culture. That's very much part of Japanese culture. But if you don't understand that, you're never going to be able to speak Japanese. That I mean, it, that is part of it. Um, it comes with like ba like basic words, for example, like interesting and emotional <laughs> so i mean is that, i mean some of it's like really basic like that and the other part is like you know for example interest just you know i i always do it in my class with like for example introductions and aisatsu and how in if you're speaking japanese you pretty much meeting somebody the first time you stick to the script because you don't want it you don't want to introduce when you're in your first time you meet somebody no surprises right whereas yeah. like when we introduce ourselves, it's you know it's jazz, it's freeform. You never know what's going to come out. That's how you express your personality. <laughs> when you meet somebody in Japan, the last thing they expect you is to uncork your personality on them. <laughs> I you have to be an actor. I think to be good at a language, you have to be able to get in and out of your own personality and and. and by the way, even in your own native language, you will be acting. You'll you adjust to who you're talking to if you're talking to oh, absolutely. friends. And we do it with each other too in our own culture, right? We're doing we're doing it right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a kind of a famous quote, and I don't. I'm not going to get it accurate. I don't think, but uh, in the movie uh, Running Man with Dustin Hoffman, mm. uh, who, by the way, you look like hmm. <laughs> um, Dustin Hoffman was having trouble with the scene. Because he's more of a method actor, and he, and Sir, Sir Lawrence Olivier was playing the bad guy in the movie, and Dustin's having all this trouble. I can't really get into it, and I don't know how to get the part. I don't know. And and Sir Sir Lawrence goes, "Why don't you try acting?" <laughs> and rather than the method, being, yeah, becoming, yeah, yeah. And I think we don't have to become the person we are acting. And well, so, of course, yeah. They, but that, that's what we should teach too, right? Tell the students that they have to act. But sometimes you'll find that the Japanese students, or not just students, but speakers, will even act, what well, goes both ways, will even act more gaijin than gaijin. And so, and of course, there's the foreigners who act more Japanese than the Japanese. Some guy speaking Keigo is walking around and get I saw yeah, a guy my, my, my word for that is the, the Kyoto gaijin, right? Kyoto gaijin. <laughs> Most of them don't speak Japanese, by the way. So anyway, all right. Well, yeah, that's that's a whole other very interesting topic too. But yeah, societal changes, right? Mm -hmm. Really um, big. Um, what else? I mean, yeah, it, more societal changes, fine too. But like, I kind of sidetracked us. Ed educational, 
Um, I do see improvements in the textbooks that are used at junior high school and high school. They're not like they're they're doing communicative lessons. In fact, I participated in writing uh, a junior high school textbook series. I was responsible for the uh, second year, which is kind of a pivotal. Uh, they've already learned the basics and things like that. And I remember debating. We were talking about the unit where they they are going to teach the future. And of course, they want to teach will. And I said, yeah, well, if you're going to teach will, you're going to have to teach be going to at the same time. Said, well, no, we don't do that. I said, yes, you will. Or <laughs> I, and you can say oh, probably whatever. And so we and then have to versus must. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and, yeah. and in that textbook series, I was very adamant. I was ready to walk out on him. I said, no, no, I don't want somebody coming up to me and say, yeah, you will go to America. Will you go to America? And you had better. <laughs> yeah. Had better. And so those kinds of things. And well, there was a debate going on and I actually uh, kind of won the debate. We introduced them both at the same time. Yeah, congratulations. But, but the series didn't sell very well. <laughs> because yeah, because high school I, teachers don't want that. Yeah. Yeah. Wills is simple. And, uh, but I do see more communicative teaching coming out hmm. and the, uh, do you hear the bell? Yes, we did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in my office. It's not a word school. That's okay. I guess it's 110. It gives an academic air to this That's thing. Academic. Yeah. yeah, this is my uh, academic office. But I think the, the, the lessons, the, the textbooks are better. I think, at least at our university, more of the Japanese staff is competent. In fact, I've been involved in the interviews up until the last couple of years when we our departments when we had the the uh the language department or the it was called the gogaku kyoikubu and i was in on every interview hiring of the uh japanese teachers and although i i, I couldn't hand select the teacher i was given basic veto power over their english proficiency and i thought that was a big step now and i'm not saying it still that that's still happening here now because I'm only involved with one department. But uh, I think there is more of an effort to put communicative language teaching, uh, linguistically taught rather than literary taught uh, Japanese teachers in the classroom. And of course, um, now both for part-time and especially full-time, there's more scrutiny on hiring uh, foreigners too. You don't just get some any foreigner fresh off the boat and hire them because they happen to speak English. Yeah, I think that's one of my one of my biggies when thinking about um, education and institutions. The the big the big one of the big keys is hiring, mm. and it, it's especially important here in Japan because once a person's hired, <laughs> they're not that easy to get rid of if you realize that you made a mistake. So once hired, not fired. Hired be, hiring the right people and pull, making you know pulling together a good team. Uh, Really critical, critical, critical. So, um, okay, big things about Japan. Well, how about yourself? I mean, uh, your um, career, and I guess we'll focus mostly at um, at Kinki Kindai University. Uh, what are you looking back at your career? I mean, being one of the gray beards, right? <laughs> uh, what are you most proud of? I mean, what did you, I mean, you look basically like, yeah, I did this. I, this is, I, this is something you know, something that if you could somehow form it into a trophy and put it on your mantle over there. What would you put up like in the in the in the prime spot? Okay, I would say that I would pick 
uh, instituting a communicative English program, English communication program here. And of course, I wasn't uh, totally responsible for it, but I was instrumental in convincing the English, the language department here, uh, that we needed a uh, required English classes in the first year, required native speaker taught communicative classes. And it took nine years to get that. Uh, from 90, I, 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 was, I started working at Kindai full time in 92. And in 2001, we instituted the first oral communication classes. Uh, students had to take at least the first year. And then we also offered the second year. And I'd say, well, 100% took the first year course and maybe 80% took the second year course. They were allowed the leeway to not take a native speaker course in their second year. They would take electives, but most of them did. And it's about the same way now, even though uh, it's been departmentalized. So all of the all of the departments have that English communication or oral communication or whatever they call it. They change the names of it. And they've tweaked their curricula to um, blend with the students' individual majors. Like I'm in the Bunge Gakubu, which is the Department of what is it? Literature, fine arts, and cultural studies. And so we were able to uh, tweak our program to fit the needs of those students. And then there's the business program, the engineering, pharmacy, and all the others. So anyway, I'm proud of that. And I think I've also have at least the appreciation of a lot of the teachers that, that were hired under me or that I interviewed and hired myself or with the committee. And the ones that got hired after that probably don't know that much about me, but they've heard that, yeah, that's the guy that helped start the program. So I'm, that's what I'm proud of, actually getting that at a major university. And at that time... Before, let, me not, you, let me cut you off just right there, yeah. just to give people a sense of scale, because um, you talk about this change, and because <clears throat> people might not know, we're talking about like a big university. And so when you're talking about all the first-year students having to get involved with a communicative English class. How many people is that affecting a year? 6,000. So, so this is not a small thing. I mean, no. you, your impact, you know, you know that being able to implement, implement that is making a significant impact on many lives, right? So just so that people understand this, this is, this is not a, you know, 500 kids <laughs> university. This is a big place. It's the second large, it's either the first or second largest in Kansai. Kansai University and Kinki University or Kindai University, as they want to be called from next year, are, they both have about the same number of enrolled students. And the first year students, like I said, all of the students take it. We have a couple of other campuses besides the one here in Nagase. When, you, when you're talking about the scale of it, I think the important thing is that we've maybe had some effect on the other uh, universities around here they they we're all competing with each other for enrollment and for prestige and things like that so i think our particular curriculum is is more there might be more structured to it than some of the other the so-called kankan doritsu the teachers there uh, the students come in maybe a little bit higher uh lang english language level uh so we spent more efforts in structuring our curriculum to help students at a little bit lower level no, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, just given given the size of the institution, it, it's necessarily when when you guys start doing it, other people are going to do it just because just because you're doing it because that's they think that's what they should be doing. So, yeah, then the secondary effects are certainly there. Yeah, it wasn't until I started teaching part time after I 
was full time here at some other places that I realized that you know Kinky University was being looked at and some of the some of the things that's been happening over here on that yeah so that I, I'm I'm you know proud of that also hiring it was difficult hiring all those people at once because uh, when we instituted the before we instituted the program uh, we had about twelve maybe fifteen at the most teachers teaching elective uh, English expression classes. And uh, in order, and that was maybe, um, uh, I'm thinking in terms of coma and how many classes were taught. So we went from about 50 or 60 coma to, in, a, in the first year, over 200 coma. And then the next year we had 400 coma. That's classes per week. And so the first year I had to hire 25 new teachers, basically by myself. And, you know, it's a crapshoot when you're hiring that many at the same time. And of course, there were people that, that I knew, which made it difficult too. In the second year, I think I had to hire another 15. Um, and that was difficult. And I think I'm kind of proud that we assembled a, what I think to be a pretty decent staff, competent, conscientious, with exceptions. <laughs> but and of course, it wasn't you uh, for information. <laughs> well, I was there work. before that. Yeah, he was there before. Well, yeah, you were there before we had that, that program. So in any case, yeah, that would be what I would consider my major accomplishment as an educator in Japan, getting that going. Yeah, well, it, um, you know, big, big effect, right? Big consequences, very influential and uh, a profound impact on students' lives, students' language acquisition. And you know, as we talked about the secondary effect, um, the curricula of other universities and the uh, you know, secondary tertiary effects from, from their changes too. So, yeah, quite a big impact. Um, and so other side of the coin, looking back, what would you have done? I'm not saying for regrets or mistakes or anything, but, uh, looking back, knowing now what you do, if you had knew then what you knew now, what would you have done differently? If you can think of anything, I don't know. Uh, well, it's from my own crew. Yeah. If you're talking about, um, things that I did working or professionally, I probably we don't want to know about your personal. Well, you know, no, no, you, professionally. You, you don't want to talk about the band. Then. <laughs> we'll get to the band. We'll get to the band. Okay, but anyway, um, I worked at the uh, the English Academy, uh, in Kenoji English Academy, from uh, nineteen eighty. Actually, I started there before I went back to the states, but basically from nineteen eighty until I got my full-time job at, a, I worked at Osaka Jogakuin, which is a, a junior college from 89 until I came to Kindai. But I didn't get a full-time job until I'd been here close to 10 years. I, and I didn't even start teaching the junior colleges. And as we know, those are better paying and they're, you get year-round pay and it's not by the hour. Uh, and the full-time job is obviously the, the major leagues. We even call it the show here. But I kind of regret that I hadn't, I didn't get into teaching at the university level sooner and that I didn't actually apply for um, full-time work because I had the qualifications, but it was always, eh, I might be going home. And I like this. I really liked, and I really did like working at the English Academy and the, and the kids there. But that would be it, that I probably, I know I could have got a job. I could have got a job sooner, but I didn't pursue that. And I kind of let my uh, career slide. I, I spent a lot of time learning the language. And I'm, and I'm proud of that, too, that I did. That's another thing. I did learn Japanese. I can read it. And with the help of a computer, I can write it. 
so those are things. But the regret might have well, been I th- that. I think I, you might be selling yourself short there on your la- or your Japanese language ability. Mm-hmm. Uh, you do a pretty good, pretty good job. There's very few people that are up, up where you are. But there's more. There are more more people Ain't now. Ain't it true? Yeah. yeah Ain't true. that true? Every now and then I'll run into somebody that, um, whoa. It's like, oh, we had an interview the other day for a, a full-time position. And two of the people we interviewed, their Japanese was, I think, as good as mine. Uh, maybe even better when it came to writing. But uh, that's another point. Also, I'm, because I'm getting older, it's hard for some reason. It's harder for, re- for me to read katakana now than before. Huh? I don't. I don't know if it's a. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Maybe I just don't like it. I, I, I've always hated katakana. Really? Yeah. So yeah, regrets would just be. Maybe I should have started. Realized I was going to be here longer, and uh, got into college teaching center. Uh, uh, uh. So. If you have, like you're talking to, for example, you're out, here, you're out having a drink or something, you, you know, the table next to her is at the bar, there's um, some younger guys, ladies, whatever. Um, they, they're, they're teaching at maybe some of the conversation schools. And uh, what, would, what, what would you tell them advice-wise? It's like, what do uh, they do? About teaching? Yeah. Teach, about living in everything, Japan? Living, everything. Living in Japan. Career-wise, social-wise, I mean, you know, you had a couple of drinks, you start talking too much. Not that you ever do that. <laughs> <laughs> but you're like, like ah, yeah, yeah, you know, do your grandpa thing. What, 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 do you, what do you tell him? I say learn Japanese. First thing I say, learn Japanese. If it's a guy, learn Japanese. And if you get involved with a Japanese woman, don't let, don't let her use you to learn English. You got to learn. You've got to learn the language if you really want to get up there. Because now, you know, everybody's got the MA. Some have PhDs. The difference is going to be, all things being equal, you're going to take the person who can speak Japanese. So first of all, learn the language because you've only got your first year or two to get a footing in it. After two years, you've got your you've got your um, strategies down. You you know how to get by. So number one, I I, I stress that to the point where I'm preachy about it. Number two, I'd say. That um, don't take what's going on too seriously. I mean, people are, and we, I talk a little bit about culture, you know, stage one. I think you and I have talked about this before. Stage one is, wow, everything's so different. How cool. Stage two is, everything's so different. How screwed <laughs> up. And stage one lasted for me a long time. That's why I was able to go back to the States and come back here. I probably was a state. Well, every day is like, I can learn a new thing. I'm studying the language, new, new things. And people... <laughs> the States, they were stage one for me lasted about two weeks. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> yeah. Well, stage, <laughs> stage two was tough because stage two lasted. It uh, was. <laughs> <laughs> stage two didn't come that, because I, again, I was basically alone. So, you know, I was charisma man, you know, that, so that, <laughs> that helps. But the other thing is stage, you know, by stage two, by the time I had some, I knew I, I was having these feelings of it. So I went from stage two to stage three relatively quickly. Stage three is, yeah, it's different. Things are screwed up, but I can handle it. Okay. And that, that you know, bounce back between three will bring it back, you know, mitigates two. Then stage four is, I mean, now I bounce between stage three, stage four and stage three. Stage four is... Oh, yeah, I'm living in Japan. 
Oh, right. Uh, yeah, yeah. I that forgot. reminds <laughs> you. You see, something, you see something that you would not see in Southern California, where I'm from, and you go, yeah, it reminds me. I'm in Japan. And I might when I go to a faculty meeting and some absurd stuff happens. Oh, or, I'm sure that never... <laughs> How often would that be? Uh, well, see, we have faculty like, meetings twice a month. I think it's kind of redundant. If you go into the faculty yeah. absurd stuff happens at every one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but some of it, then you just, you'd say, yeah, okay. Um, interesting. So become an, oh, here's the other thing I've told them before. Become an anthropologist. You are an anthropologist in Japan. You will always be an anthropologist, anthropologist in Japan. Looking at the, the tribe here, Compare it with your tribe and see how it compares. And you can ju- you can make value judgments. You will make that back to that original conversation, right? You will make value judgments, uh, but you don't have to announce them to everybody all the time. And you keep them in your head and let them filter through. And yeah, there are people are bitching and moaning about stuff. It happens in the lunchroom with the guys here at Kindai. So yeah, learn the language, become an anthropologist. Yeah, I, th- I think yeah, that's a that's a really good point with the with the anthro and um, getting beyond the value judgments because um, unless you, you it's something that you know, you know it's as you said it's a stage that we all go through, but if you don't go past that, um, you're doomed. You're yeah, doomed. drive you out of your mind. Drive and, you and, and you drive you out of your mind, make your life and life make life miserable for your students and your colleagues and friend friends associates um because you know with that mindset you're going to lose your friends pretty quickly because that that's not a happy place to be um and it's a it's a, it's a real it's a real danger pit I mean, it's a sand pit right it's a quagmire it's like what killed the mastodons <laughs> it's like you fall into that 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 pit and it's it's a really big battle to get out of it and it's a real danger um, but it's something that we all have to, it's like some stage in a computer game, I guess. I don't do, I don't do computer games, but it's like the, the, with a big one, you know, they, they, that kind of catches you and you got to get beyond that. But, um, yeah, yeah. Really good observation on that one. But, uh, I think probably for you, like timeline, me and the getting that stage three. Yeah. Probably similar. I just spent a lot more time. You spent a lot more time in one little time in two. I spent really a little time in one and back to two. Cause I think when I got here, I was maybe a little bit overprepared. Um, I had no expect. Oh, the other thing, no, yeah. expect, no expectations, yeah. no disappointments. Yeah. Yeah. Don't expect yeah. anything. Yeah. That, that, that and I my, didn't, that was part of my problem. Maybe Yeah, I didn't, I, I had, okay. Here's an example. A close friend of mine in the States, uh, his, his name is Steve. He was a, he studied Zen. He was going up to the Mount Baldy. This is uh, Mount San Antonio for the non-Southern California people. He was going up to the Zendo up there and doing Zazen and all that. And he was really, really into it. And uh, he never had gone to Japan, but I came here before him. And I was here about, and I go back occasionally to LA and see him and talk about it. And so finally he came, I was living in Kyoto, between Kyoto and Nara. And he came to stay in my house. He didn't last a week. He couldn't handle it. He thought it was all going to be Zen. He thought that he was coming to the land of Wa. Where's <laughs> and my re- Zen hum? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I said, Steve, this is it. And he, he got sick, physically sick, because he couldn't handle it. And it, it just don't expect too much. I mean, yeah, yeah, it, because yeah, that's one one of the things that's really true about Japan is that like whatever you think it is, whatever you expect, it's you're you're wrong. 
<laughs> it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna surprise you and 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 trip you up and uh just juicy it's yeah it's but it's it's gotta be fun right i mean that's why we're still here <laughs> you know the only thing i really hate about japan is the summers the heat and humidity that really comes down to it now <laughs> i try to get out of here in august but yeah there's other stuff that is irritating annoying and maybe you know, I would change those things about Japan, but I'm not going to change Japan. I've done what I could, I think, to help educate Japanese kids and thousands of them, actually, me and not just me, but other people that we work. We all do that. But that from my personal to help educate Japanese kids so they can look at their culture more objectively. So they're going to be able to think these thoughts, awareness, mindfulness. I think that's the catchphrase. To be mindful, oh, yeah, I'm sinking into a little depression about um, living in Japan or they're thinking about, even in their daily life, about going to college or what have you or going abroad. And just get it out of your head. You know, find something because, I mean, I don't want to get too ethereal here, but this is the earth we're living on, you know. And I, that perspective, I talk, I talk like that in class sometimes with the students. And uh, I use a little Japanese if I'm getting that far out. but switch it back and forth. And, and to me, as an, I'm an educator first. I really am. I, I, I'm not a language teacher first. And that's the other thing I would tell. Yeah, you don't get away from what you're teaching. You've got to teach it. But you are teaching, first of all, you're teaching people, students, young people. And don't look down on them because they're not as smart as you, not as knowledgeable as you. Don't look down on anybody for that matter, except people you just can't stand. <laughs> but yeah. That's my little preachy. That's my little sermon. Yeah, well, you know, teaching experiences it can vary so much, like depending where you're teaching. Like some some of the places, you know, where I teach now, I go and walk in there with the assumption that um, they do know more <laughs> because yeah, it's a really uh, kind of Im impressive crowd. But um, so yeah, forty years we we kind of raced through all that. No, oh, getting on for not quite like thirty seven. Only thirty eight. Only thirty seven. Thirty eight. Yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> but getting on forty years. Um, so what's next? Uh, mandatory retirement. Uh, the age of mandatory retirement at Kindai or Kindai University is sixty six, and I turned sixty six two weeks ago. Um, that means this year is my last year. This year is wow! I did I didn't I wasn't quite aware of that. Yeah, and uh, most universities have some sort of mandatory. I think all of them actually have a, some sort of mandatory retirement age, and I guess the idea is to let new teachers in and uh, make sure that they're not dealing with a bunch of senile old professors mm. and uh, like me, <laughs> uh, which I don't like to think, and that's that's the the pain of it. Sure. And, you know, there's money involved, but honestly, the classroom is, I like theater. I like, I like um, having people respond and I, I'm going to miss that. I'm good. That's what I'm going to miss the most. I have part-time jobs. I've lined up a couple of part-time jobs and, uh, you know, I'd like to be able to talk the university into keeping me longer, but I don't think that's going to happen. But uh, there's a lot of things I can do. But I'm keeping my options open. I mean, I'm going to teach at least a couple of days a week, and I will get a I will get a pension. 
which is good. When you're, that's the other thing. When you're a full-timer, that's the best thing about it. You are, they put you in the pension system, whether you like it or not. And uh, so I'll get some of that money and I'll be all right. I'm not, I'm not, you know, complaining about that part of it. It's just not being able to go into the classroom, not being able to come to my office and have this thing that I've been doing all the time. But so I, I'm going to write a book. I've been working on a book. I had a, a sabbatical six years ago where I started, I've got about 150, close to 200 pages worth that I have to organize. And, and maybe I'll put some, I'll put some of these uh, anecdotes in and a uh, little personal stuff. Maybe somebody would like to read it. It would be like uh, a book that a new, a newbie, a fresh off the boat foreigner might be interested in kind of like, like your series here, like your podcast. I, I'm, and that's what's a really good. That's why I'm really glad that you asked me to participate. So that and more music. Yeah, and, I wanted to get to the music. So you're not going to go pro, huh? <laughs> I don't think I'm that good of a singer. My harmonica is getting a lot better, mm. but uh, uh, the singing is just something that I wasn't blessed with. I, you know, in this part, I will say they let me sing in the band because uh, I know I know the lyrics, so I can pronounce pronounce them well. And I'm not as bad as I used to be. And uh, yeah, we do. We're a blues band, and we do a lot of rock too. Last night we did a. We were at the Blarney Stone. Uh, that's a pitch for the Blarney Stone in Numeda, and uh, we rocked the house last night. It was pretty good. You know, we like to keep a little bit more pure blues, but when the, when the band when the uh, crowd wants to dance, you bring out Johnny Be Good. Yeah. yeah. Well, marketing, marketing, marketing. <laughs> all right. Okay. All right. Good. Um. Uh, you got any gigs? Coming up soon? Okay, we'll be at the Shinsai Bosch, uh, the uh, Umeda Blarney Stone on the 13th, Friday the 13th. Ooh. We're there the second Friday in Umeda Blarney and the, generally the fourth Friday in the Shinsai Bashi. And like I said, we start at 9.30. Uh, try to kick it off that. We got to wait for our drummer to get there because he's a working man. He's a Gyoshi man. All the other guys in the band are uh, Japanese. We've been together. You came when we first started, when we were down at the cellar, I think that's got to be at least 10, 12 years ago. I, I, would, I would put it at like 14 years, 13, yeah. 14 years. Yeah. Those are, I couldn't play the harm, harmonica at all. That's, what, that's what everybody play. said. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't sing or, that. that. That's what she said. No. <laughs> no they're, they're, I, but, you know, you guys were all enjoying it anyway. There was some blues. There, but by the way, I also like the, the listeners to know there is a really live, if they like blues, a really live blues um, scene in Osaka. And uh, they're uh, support the blues by going out. If you, if you know of any gigs like that, you can look it up Osaka blues bands and things like that. So there's a place called the Howling Bar in Tsukamoto, which is one stop from Umeda. So if you like blues, go there and you'll see. Here's some good stuff. And we play blues and rock. Okay. All right. I, I guess that wraps it up because we are running a little bit long, but that's that's fine. Interesting talk. Right. So, um, yeah, very interesting because um, the long perspective is uh, something that um, has, I think, has real value. Uh, obviously it's a different, you know, someone, something washing up on the shores today. It's a, a very different world than when I got here yeah. and it get another degree of separation with like when you got here. Uh, but, uh, the, the long view is something that I think has uh, real value for anybody. Uh, and, um, I remember when I got here, it was always interesting to, uh, go out and have a few beers with, like with you and with uh, Dave uh, 
<clears throat> our good friend Dave Wright, and to hear the stories and to, you know, or you know, legends, right? Oral tradition. <laughs> Listen to the tales and, uh, and 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 learn and soak up what you can from all that. And it was for me invaluable. I mean, it was just wonderful. I mean, it was such an education. And um, re, I'm very honored and grateful to be, to be able to sap a little bit of that from you and to be able to spread it to the um, to our listeners and uh, to share that because uh, it's the real stuff. So thank you very much for your time. Wow. It, was, it was really good. My pleasure. And uh, let's do it again. Okay. And uh, yeah, you know, if there's a uh, Maybe like you know, do a little, you know, kind of like, you know, this is like you know, a general like, this is my 40 years, uh, but focus on some of the things that, you know, that maybe, for example, I think you and I maybe uh, uh, some some differences in opinion about uh, that idea of uh, the culture and the role of culture in the classroom. Um, Ch- Charles and I have done one like, um, on uh, the, you know, I think the title of it is something with missionary being the missionary in the classroom, like for one's culture, right? It's like, no, no, you guys are wrong and we're right. And it's like, well, you know, listen to yourself. <laughs> but, um, you know, the whole other idea about foreign language and foreign culture and its role in foreign language education, again, very, very different with when you talk about uh, certain, stu- certain students at a certain level versus students at a, a little bit higher level when you get to the point where you're doing like all overall discussion type classes it's really hard to keep the culture out of it because it informs so much of our thinking and our ideas and we'll argue about that another day <laughs> i'm with it okay cool i'm with cool, it man cool cool good uh so we'll do that so anyway thank you very much this is cool i think it worked out really well and um Happy, uh, what do you, what do you do? What do you do on harmonica? You don't, you know, happy blowing, happy harping, happy, happy what? Well, you see harmonica players not only suck, but we blow. There you go. Well, we don't call it suck. I we call it I draw. Couldn't say, I couldn't say it better. Myself. We draw. <laughs> it's called a draw. Euphemism for suck is to draw. It's a draw note. <laughs> and draw notes, Ben. Yeah. I mean, uh, and I don't even want to tell you what harmonica means in Japanese. Yeah. We, uh, if you, yeah we'll, we'll leave that one too for another day. <laughs> All right, Kim. Well, thanks a lot. Leave you with that one. All righty. Thanks, Tony. So, man, take care. Thanks a lot. All right, bye-bye. Bye. So, Tony, thanks. That was great. And thank you, Kim, for that. Uh, How do you guys actually really know each other? When did you guys first meet? Was it at Kendai, or did he hire you? Or maybe I missed that in the interview? Um, A little bit before that. When I came in um, 91... Uh, I was uh, working full-time at a Semongako in southern Osaka. Uh, and Kim had taught at that Semongako before me. He had since left and started working at, um, at, uh, at I think, I believe, went directly to Kinky University. I'm not sure. Um, and uh, the, the person who hired me, which you mentioned in the, in the interview, David, David Wright, um, would still you know it was, it was very social right so we, we everyone would get together so a number of teachers had passed through that that um that semongako oh uh, by the way semongako is a uh, kind of a cross between a, a community college junior college technical school uh vocational school kind of all those things roll up into one at the time uh where it was uh, a, a challenge for people to get into universities 
um, a lot of people who couldn't ended up at, at these things where they would either study at this particular Semagaku, its specialty had been English and was quite famous for its English program. Or they would study other things like um, tra travel agents and you know, hospitality, uh, the, you know, the hotel industry and secretarial school. And, um, and but, it, but its strength at that point was English. So um, I was teaching at the Semagaku. He had taught there and a number of other guys. Um, and women had taught there previously, and the ones who stayed in Japan would occasionally get together. And so I met him at one of these, you know, Friday evening get-togethers at a restaurant in Little Izakaya. And uh, yeah, I was with these, uh, you know, again that older, that other generation that had been here. And uh, I just sit there and I'd absorb all these stories. And after being at the Semongako for a few years, um, and the, the the population and the demographic trends made themselves apparent i realized okay i've got to uh move up a level here and then started moving into universities and i uh, worked at a few universities and then actually was hired at um Kindai by somebody else uh who gave me my first shot um peter grant thank you peter and uh then after working uh, with uh peter for a couple of years uh was uh given more classes and some of those were under um kim's purview so that's that's the the story there okay i was just curious about that because that's going back a ways too mm -hmm. but it, yeah it was really interesting to hear that perspective just you know the charisma man and all the things that went on back before and what it was like for someone to come over because i think i mentioned um, a friend of mine who passed away a number of years ago leslie brizak was in that generation of guys who came over and uh, were that first wave of professors, educators in the universities that at least I know of. I don't know too many people who were here before that. And just kind of like that 1960s hippie traveling group in a certain way. People, or I don't know, that's kind of what I, the impression I get. Well, I think, no, I think, I think you're, I think you're re right on, on, on that, on that point, because, um, I think that's one of the things we, we that we didn't talk about in the interview, but I think that is one of the things that changed dramatically, is that people came in 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 that at that time, and even still when I was coming in, and as Kim said himself, he didn't come here to to teach; he came here to learn the language, and at that time, I think the the vast majority of people, no one came here to teach; they came here and they taught because there was it was it was crazy lucrative. I mean, it was the crazy eighties. Mm -hmm. uh, it was the, it was the boom here, the bubble, um, and there was just money just falling out of the sky. And yeah, you teach English because you know there's stuffing money into your pockets, and then you do whatever else you're going to do, whether it's learning the language or you know pottery or as Kim said karate or whatever it might be, or you just it's a stopover on your trek around the world. Um, I'm not in a hiring position right now, but uh, my, my wife, Allison, of course, is. And um, one of the things that she remarks on frequently is that now, by far, the, the number of people who are applying, they, are, they have come to Japan to teach. So the, that, the, that demographic, that um, population of, of what the, the teachers are, the teaching pool, uh, has changed dramatically. And um, one would hope that the, the caliber of teaching has gone up as well. You know, this would be an interesting podcast if we wanted to talk about the, the professionalization of the English teacher. Mm. It's actually, it has become a job. It has become a career. But I think in the 1970s, it was just beginning. 
Right. Or, you know, by the way, if just for anyone who wants to do something really kind of interesting, if you go to the Google Ngram, and if you type in second language acquisition and you put it for like 1800 to 2015, <laughs> it's completely flat until about 1965. <laughs> <laughs> There's actually no use of it. And then in 1967, it kind of begins to take off. And of course, that's with um, headquarters, very seminal essay on the um, learner errors. The significance of learner errors and mm -hmm. that's really the beginning of second language applied linguistics um as a as we know it in the modern era i think but okay um a couple of things tody though i noticed um the the mistake with running man and marathon man i think kim was <laughs> yeah, kim yeah was, I don't know, running man i don't know you're running man yeah running man is the <laughs> arnold schwarzenegger um yeah, movie I, and marathon man that, that, that would explain why i don't know it <laughs> right marathon man is the one with dustin hoffman yeah Right. Lawrence Olivier, and Lawrence right? Olivier. Is it safe? Is it safe? Is it safe? <laughs> <laughs> Remember, so again, for anyone who knows the movie will understand why we're laughing. And if you don't understand the, the comment, the reference, see the movie. Yeah, go see the movie. It's go see one. the movie. and you, Just before you go to the dentist. Yeah, just before you go to the dentist. Just be, <laughs> is it safe? Is it safe? So there was that. Um, and it was interesting because of... Kim's advice about learning Japanese and how now. Oh, Jap good. I'm glad. I'm glad you picked that up because that was that was. I was going to ask you about that actually. What do you mean? Um, yeah, I said. What do What do you think about that? Yeah, yeah. I, well, I'm I'm in I'm in two camps. My Japanese is nowhere near as good as it should be, and I know a lot of people who do have. Real, we can all say that. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm probably worse than most people. Um, it was easy for me to learn German, but Japanese has been a struggle. I, I mean, you know, it takes me like 27 thousand times to hear one word to remember it and as i get older it's getting worse but the idea of you know being able to really work in the university and how japanese is now a requirement whereas i think when i came over here it wasn't even nobody was well, asking that's what he said you. yeah it wasn't even expected they right. didn't expect you to speak any japanese right in fact sometimes they didn't even want you to speak japanese mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um although i do know that the people who are very fluent do get a lot of translation work in a lot of extra work but it's amazing to me that most of the people i know are reasonably fluent with their language abilities so that's good um the other thing i thought was talking about the acculturation cycle right i love it i hate it i love it i hate it i mm -hmm. love it but mm -hmm. i realize this and you know and that's been ongoing for me i find that i cycle through that quite a bit but um, it was interesting to hear that from someone who's been here so long. And, you know, I, what would we say is embedded in Japanese education and Japanese culture. Mm -hmm. I found that real, real interesting. But the one thing that really stood out to me in your talk with Kim is when he talked about being an educator first. Mm. Right. I think it's near the end of the, the interview or your talk with Kim. And you could really feel that he really believes that, that he's an educator first and a language teacher is part of that domain. And I would definitely agree with that. Although I think you mentioned that you have to, as we've done in the podcast, you have to tread very lightly about how you present that, especially when you're talking in cultures. But I think you guys talked about that as well. So those were the things that, really um, stood out for me. Just rather than commenting about it, it was just kind of listening. And 
hearing just this kind of different perspective, different take that seems like is only separated by 10 years, but is a real marked difference. Because as you said, those were the go-go years in Japan, mm -hmm. right? The bubble. Um, I came at the end of the bubble. I first came here in 88. It's, but my first time was when I came, it was 88 as well. Right. And that was at the end of the bubble. Right. And for people who don't know this, at Japan was basically taking over the world in just in terms of and based on almost the concept of quality control remember yeah just yeah. this is detroit was making terrible cars cars that were breaking their tvs televisions our electronics walkmans everything was coming from japan everyone believed the 21st century was going to be, be the, the japanese Japan century the japanese century right and what people also might forget is that sony was to the world what apple is today Sony was yeah. at the forefront of design. Remember what yeah, Sony did? Yeah, was like. Absolutely. And even Steve Jobs was enamored by Sony. Sure. So going back to that again and thinking about that and trying to imagine what would it have been like to be here just when that was starting rather than coming here right at kind of when it was ending and the real estate bubble had popped. So kind of really interesting kind of historical kind of background there that Kind of took me back to when I first came here 27 years ago. Yeah. yeah. Must have taken you back a bit. Very much so. Um, kind of the same kind of thing. It really was kind of a little bit of a, of a time travel thing because, um, you know, you kind of forget about a lot of things, but especially the you forget the feeling. And um, it, coming here at first, right, being your first year, your first two years, several years in the country, <clears throat> And uh, the wonder and the strangeness, um, both positive and negative, um, as well as, uh, you know, just the whole gestalt. I mean, it was such a different thing than, than now. And I'm not sure, you know, it gets really hard to separate how much of it is that the reality has changed or whether it's me that's changed, right? Ah, okay. So is it my perspective? Is it, I mean, I... You know, it, my eyes if closed. I've adapted to different things. I see things in a different way. Someone who comes in, you know, gets off the plane now with fresh eyes. What part of it is the fact that it's new and strange and wonderful and crazy? And how much of it is, well, it's a different, strange, wonderful, crazy world, right? Mm -hmm. What are the what are the differences in the, you know, the objective or the subjective? And, um but certainly talking to him, really, yeah, as you said, just took me right back. It was yeah. it was very strange. Almost I felt like I had just gotten here. I, <laughs> it was really interesting. <laughs> All that anxiety comes back. Uh, the anxiety never left. <laughs> but the other thing, Tony, uh, I would have, I think, would have really liked to hear from Kim was, and a lot more in detail, was how has language education changed? Mm. How has it developed? Because when I got here, the whole communicative language movement was just embedded. And that was what was had taken hold. And remember, I think there was no focus on form. There was no interest in grammar teaching. And it was it was the end of the method, the methods era. Basically, people realized that there was no methodology that would work and going into different approaches, different kinds of programs. And now to think that years later, for example, I've noticed that People talk about task-based activities rather than task-based learning. Mm -hmm. This understanding of there's no one way to teach something. Mm -hmm. So, you know, also that was like group work, 
was becoming and collaborative work was just beginning to start. And it would have been interesting to hear how Kim's teaching changed over the years, right? If he could have, you know, said, okay, well, this is what I was doing in 1975. This is what I was doing in 1980, 85, 90. And how he reconciles all those differences and what he does when he walks into a classroom now. So I'd be happy to have him on the show again, just to hear the answers to those questions. Yeah, something a little bit more focused, like on that, I think it'd be worth pursuing. Yeah, yeah. But I really did actually enjoy kind of that wide-ranging discussion about culturally and what it was like to be here and the experiences. And also, it was great to hear that he's in a blues band hmm. and uh, playing blues. So it's always nice to hear. So I think it's a good, nice thing for our listeners. It'll be interesting to see what people have to say. Um, although, again, <laughs> I was laughing when Kim said that he hates the Japanese summers. <laughs> What? Wait, wait, don't you? Yeah, but uh, what I was going to laugh at is you're from Chicago, so you're used to a hot, humid summer, right? Uh, no, not like this. Okay. <laughs> I mean, we have, we have like, you know, hot, humid weather for two days in a row <laughs> or three days in a row or at the worst, four or five days in a row, not two months. <laughs> okay, but I was going to say, I grew up in Southern California and I remember one humid day. One hot, humid day. In, yeah, well, I and, think he's, he's from, from Southern Cal. That's right. So I don't yeah. know. Do you know what part of Southern California he's from? Because I'm, I grew up in L.A. Uh, it's near L.A., uh, but I don't know exactly. It's all the same there. to you. You're from Chicago, yeah, right? right? It's, it's all just. It's on the other side. It's a part that's going to fall into the ocean. Right. Actually, it's just going to be inundated by the ocean. It's not going to mm. fall off, which is what's kind of scary. But that's another podcast. <laughs> mm. So. Yeah, it was good. The just general, the, the zeitgeist, right, mm -hmm. of the time. That really came through really, really clearly. And I'm, I'll look forward to Kim's book that he mentioned that he's going to write about newbies coming over. And that'll be kind of interesting. There must be an incredible amount of stories and insights and anecdotes that he'll be able to provide for people. What about you? What was your general take, Tony? Anything you want to add to the talk? I wanted, no, yeah, I think like you, I would have, well, we have limited time. You know, you can't caught up on everything. But I would have liked to have talked more about, um, you know, what happened inside the classroom, like what he's doing mm -hmm. now differently, what he did before, um, make changes that he's seen, and talk more about like the teachers, about the teaching, you know, the the theories, the uh, and as well as the practice in the classroom, as well as the differences in the students, mm. which is also huge. There's a big, huge difference in the students from then and now. Yeah, that would have been an interesting thing to see his take on that. Yeah, because that that is that is really really big, right? Um, yeah, and of course we, and I don't I don't know how much of that um, was uh, was actually semantics, but we we kind of butted heads a little bit on the idea of culture and language, um, and and that that might be another thing that maybe he and I can sit down and argue about, because I think we we feel pretty sure. Not in terms of like, uh, in terms of being, we talked about this in our, um, one of our episodes, I think it was number 42, episode 42, we talked about being missionaries. Right. And imposing our value systems on on, uh, on our students. And I, I think we, I, I have to go back and listen to it. I think I made a, good, a pretty good argument saying that, you know, no, we're not imposing our values, but there's a certain amount of the culture and the thinking that is embedded in the language i mean yes. you, it's inseparable and <clears throat> it sounded at some point he says that well that was you know that's not what he does they said hey, yeah, yeah. i think i jumped on him kind of hard <laughs> sorry kim um i'm gonna say no no man you're, you're full of it it's 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 integral 
Um, and I still, and I do believe that, well, that you can teach a language without teaching the way of thinking and talk about, you know, the notion of hierarchy, um, communication patterns where, you know, in, when you were speaking Japanese, you uh, reduce the element of surprise and you're much more scripted and speaking English is much more free form. And when you talk to somebody in Japanese that you don't know well, you search for consensus and agreement and something that you can something shared whereas when in Eng we speak in english we want to dive right into the person's head it's like what's your opinion and why do you think so and no i why don't you i don't agree <laughs> which you can't do in japanese and those are all parts of language instruction because it's how we talk mm -hmm. and that's how we think and okay i'll shut up yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can tell it's you can tell it's an issue with me well i'm on your side or, or you're on my side or we're on the same side on this one that I agree with you that I think it's impossible to the language itself carries value it carries culture it is a, a media for the transmission of culture and there's we know because we know people who who's jet we were talking about knowing Japanese right whose raw Japanese linguistic ability is great but when they open their mouth they're a bull in a china shop because they're speaking english with japanese words right and I, but i know <laughs> they're just they're just destroying the room but i know the other people too who really have gotten it yeah oh, right? oh they're, sure they're the sure, people sure. and you can see that they right and that just that says it I, I think the argument is done with the example you just gave right for example you can't um i think the story i well, I don't want to go down this road too often, but I remember once I was talking with my wife and we're some in some cafe or something, coffee shop in Japan, and my wife turned to me and says, you know, that's really pretty much like the stupidest idea I've ever heard. <laughs> and this woman next to us said, I'm sorry, excuse me, you know, perfect English from the Japanese. She goes, you know, that's a phrase that I don't think you could even say in Japanese. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I think also she was just shocked that I went, yeah, you're right, it is actually. Now that I think about it. So I don't want to go down that path again. I think we've addressed it, but mm. it's interesting though to see that that's. I wonder, you know, if, if we were to talk to more people who have been here as long as Kim has, whether they'd agree with him or disagree with him. That'd be interesting to see if it's a generational thing or is it just his take. And I'm sure that his side is also a lot more nuanced. Than well, he did talk. We did. He did. He did talk about like the acting part, and and um, so that's what I'm saying. I don't know exactly how much we, in fact agree or disagree because yeah. uh, it just made a different way of thinking it or a different way of even just expressing it yeah yeah and you know the other thing that's really nice that it came at the end of the talk when kim was talking about retirement coming up and it, it's just isn't it nice to hear somebody say after all these years that um i'm gonna miss the classroom well, not like I, i'm starting to say that already yeah. <laughs> yeah i'm feeling that too yeah and finally the last thing um that it's, I don't know if this is a generational thing. How did you take it? I thought you guys were kind of bordering a little bit on... Uh, uh, a little po political correctness problem no, there? No, 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 no. No, because I am definitely not politically correct. Maybe just with this podcast. Because I want people <laughs> saying, Charles, you said. But um, just a, a, little, a little kind of butting up against... Um, what some people might interpret as sexism. What do you think? I mean, you were in well, the that's conversation. What I meant. That, that's what I meant about the P, the PC thing. Oh, you were yeah, not because, that I'm PC. Okay. No, 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 no. About the, that uh, that that yeah, he and I, uh, certain parts of the conversation by 2015 standards 
unquestionably on PC, right? Mm. Okay, uh, fair and, enough. Uh, and I thought I thought that is a as a I thought of it as a, it's a really interesting artifact of 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 a, of a previous time, like of an older time, when that kind of thing was accepted. And you, you know, you, the same thing applies like to, to to racial things, right? That you know, the thing you could make jokes and you can comment about things you know twenty years ago, thirty years ago. That, you, that are unspeakable today, and it's the same kind of thing. And uh, it, I think most of it came out in, in uh, the discussion about the charisma man thing. Right. And I mean, I mean, pick. You know, you can't even these days. You know, can't say picking up women. It's like, eh. you, you know, you have to be everyone. We have to couch our our, our language so much. Um, and um, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think maybe you know when you talk about the the old days, it uncorks. You know certain rooms in memory, and the old behaviors come out as well. I don't know. I don't, it's it's kind of interesting. It's kind of like watching um, Mad Men. Yeah, like right? that. I mean, sure. it's like yeah, the isms. It's like whoa. Yeah, the <laughs> the isms that you and I are guilty of haven't won't be named for another fifteen to twenty years, right? <laughs> right, right. And people will say, "Look at that." I, my guess is, you know, in about another twenty five years, people will go, "These barbarians, they ate animals." <laughs> people won't understand how people could not be vegetarians, right? For example, right. or what's right. called or uh, vegans. There's a there's an age gap thing, <laughs> but it's kind of like in that sense, right? It was as Kim mentioned, right? Being an anthropologist, right, and just observing yeah, exactly. and noticing. I really, really kind of felt like I was kind of listening to this time capsule and really going back. And I was not offended by anything i mean there were certain points in time where I, I'm, sure, know, I'm sure there were there are listeners who will be but. yeah i'm sure there are people <laughs> yeah. there but rather than you know seeing it that way it was more just like wow this is like a, a conversation that just would have been happening when i got here yeah and that's how yeah. i felt was like whoa yeah. I, well, I felt i felt like that too yeah i've really time traveled back into because i don't have those conversations with people Correct. who have been here for a long time and most of the time everybody i know we don't even talk about those things anymore or what it was <laughs> we talk like, about our aches and pains right exactly <laughs> oh man you know my back and you know this back hair, hair loss and <laughs> okay tony you don't have any hair loss so now you're really kind of you know getting at me at this point but it was enjoyable and it'll be interesting to see if people are offended or not offended and what people do kind of gets their ire up but as a way of looking at in a like this is like foundational right these are mm. this is somebody who was here at the formative period and as kim right. talked about what he did in developing a program and influencing and impacting an incredible number of students and other teachers and huge huge impact and a huge impact in the kansai area mm. i mean I, is there anybody who doesn't know kim's name no, I don't think so. Right? I mean, he's one of the few people, I think, whose name is known by everyone. And, uh, you know, that's a, his tenure is coming to an end. And I think that's one of those significant people. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to, to have had the chance to, to get him on. Because, yeah, thank you. Know, you. To capture that, right? It's, it's great for, I mean, for for everybody. It's, it's, a real, it's a real nice thing. And we'll have him back. Right. We'll talk about some of this other stuff. Yes. Okay. So I don't think i have too much more to add but thank you and kim thank you very much for your talking to tony i enjoyed that immensely yeah it was really a a nice blast looking at the past and and, and again you know we you know with the discussion we just had like about the pc stuff it kind of just underscores um you know 30 years ago 35 years ago from when we got here 25 years ago it was not only japan it was a different world yes 
Yes. It was a different world. And things here have changed so much. Um, it's it's had, And we would never expect it because we, you know, when we were here 25 years ago, we'd look at this like, this place is never going to change. You know, it's like, we're, it's like well, these guys are so, you know, this is, this hasn't happened yet. This has happened yet. This is, is like, well, it's going to be like this forever. Boy, were we wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's a great point. That's really a great point, Cody. <laughs> oh, man. Right? It really has changed. But, and then what hasn't changed is, just as, you know, just as, uh-huh. just as shocking. But I'm not saying any more at this point. I want to say thank you, Tony, yeah. and thank you, Kim. Yeah, yeah, it was great. It was great. It was okay. great. Good, good time. All right. Well, thanks. So mm. that was uh, Tony interviewing, talking with Kim Kennell from uh, Hinky Kindai. Kindai University is kind of like saying I the, think the Shikagawa it's, it's, River. It's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. It's a, uh, redundant, but thank you very much. And... Let's, you know, if you have anything to say, please uh, get in touch with us. We are Two Teachers Talking. Uh, we're on iTunes and Teacher Two. <laughs> Why don't you do it, Tony? I'm stuttering and uh, yeah, well, I think I, think I think they get the I point. Think two Teachers knows. Talking, right? It's Two, two teachers, teachers Talking, talking everywhere. Right. <laughs> You'll find us. Okay. Thanks a lot, if Tony. You want to.